Open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 8. my favorite guy. Last week, we talked about the defeat of Israel with the city of Ai. They had come off of a tremendous victory at Jericho, a fortified city where, where God basically did all the work. He did something miraculous and they enjoyed the benefits of God's working and defeating that fortified city and then how they ran off to Ai. And the word Ai means heap. It's not a huge city. In fact, Joshua said, you know what, send 3,000 men. Not everyone needs to go. And so a few people went and they were routed. They were defeated. They came back with their tail between their legs just <laughs> saying, oh my gosh, what's happened? They, he fell on his face before God and he said, God, did you bring us out here to die? The nations are going to hear about this. They're going to consume us. It would have been better if we were on the other side of the Jordan River. Wow. Why did you bring us here? And God told him, get up. <laughs> there's, there's something wrong. There is sin in the nation. And you need to deal with it. And we talked about how for us to move forward, we many times need to deal with those things in our lives. We looked at the three areas where it really led to defeat. One was overconfidence and trust in themselves. The second was a lack of prayer. And the third was disobedience. And now we're coming to chapter 8 where we are going to see, not to give away the end of the movie, but the victory over AI. But something that we need to understand, and I think it's an important part, that sometimes the recovery of lost ground can be very hard to recover. And sometimes, you know, 30 minutes of disobedience can lead to 30 years of regret. And it's very hard sometimes to take back those things that we have failed in. And so as it starts off in chapter 8, verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Now, doesn't that remind you of something God said earlier? He said this in the first chapter. When Joshua was taking Moses' place, getting ready to enter into this land of promise, and he was terrified. In fact, four times God said, don't be afraid. Don't be terrified. Don't be dismayed. And I am so glad that God tells us that over and over again. How many times have you had to be encouraged by God in your life, in your history of following after him as a, a follower of Jesus was it just once? Well, I became a Christian. And he says, don't be afraid. Go on now. Run along. And the last 30 years, I've been fine. You know. <laughs> Repeatedly, God tells us, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. And we need it. We need that encouragement from God. And if you're here tonight and you're feeling discouraged, you're feeling just depressed, and know that the Lord says it over and over again. That he told Joshua, he didn't say, Joshua, Joshua, I told you just, you know, six chapters ago. Don't you remember <laughs> when I told you, 
he doesn't bring it up, but he presses us forward. And so he tells him, don't be discouraged. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack Ai. For I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. You shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, except that you may carry off their plunder and livestock for yourselves. Set an ambush behind the city. And, and so now God is going to give him the plans and he tells Joshua what needs to take place. But he tells him, take everyone. Exactly. Don't just take the 3,000 that you took last time. Take everyone. And we're going to see that he took quite a few people this time. He wasn't going to underestimate this again. But you see, what needs to happen is we need to press forward in our life with God, in our relationship with him, in this spiritual walk with Christ. We need to take that ground. And when we fall into areas where we are defeated, we can't wallow in it. We can't sit there. We can't think, I, it's too much for me. I'm not going to move on. We have to press Just on. Go forward. I talked about this Sunday, <laughs> Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. It says, Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Hmm. Now, isn't that hard to do sometimes, to forget what's behind? It's amazing. Sometimes what is behind seems too big for us to, to get out of. And it, it traps us. We are caught up in our defeats. We are, are caught up into this past that we are dragging along with Absolutely. us like a ball and chain. And Paul says we, we need to forget what's behind and we need to strain forward towards what's ahead. And, and the idea of straining is that of labor. It's work. I know we'd like it to be easy. At least I would. I'd like to just be able to sail forward in this Christian life and, you know, have win the lottery, even though I don't play, you know, just somehow it would, here's a lottery ticket. Oh, by the way, it's a winner, you know. Uh, we would like that and the bills are taken care of and the kids are all healthy and all those things, but it's just not the case. We have to strain forward in our life and with that straining forward, not just in the the daily things that we need to do to survive, we have to strain to, to keep this spiritual life vital. We have to have passion in this life and not let it die, not let it dwindle, because it will if we don't take care of it. If it's not important to us, it becomes mundane, it becomes routine. And so it takes straining forward, and he says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Joshua had to go back into battle. We have to get up. We need to not be discouraged, and we need to push forward. Wherever we're at, we need to push forward. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter how many times you fall down as long as you get up one more than you fall down. And that's what we need to do, is get up at least one more time than we fell down so that we can keep pushing forward and moving forward to this area. And, and you know what? 
what a lesson here too. In verse 2 it says, You shall do to Ai as you did to Jericho, except you can carry off the plunder and the livestock. Jericho they weren't allowed to, remember? Right. But now they can. If Achan would have just waited, one city. Remember, he had to take the stuff that was in Jericho. He had to take it for himself. He, he, he couldn't wait. He couldn't wait. What a tragedy. If he would have waited just one city. Hey, Aiken, there's plunder there. You can get it, but not this city. You have to wait. And, and why, why couldn't they do it to Jericho and why Ai? Well, first of all, the, the first... The first fruits belonged to the Lord. It was to go into the storehouse of the Lord. And then God takes care of the nation and the people as well. But Achan was in a rush. He pressed forward, and we know what happened to him last chapter. Because of him, the nation ended up losing that battle. He ended up being put to death. Verse 3 goes on, And Joshua and the whole army moved out to attack Ai. And so now we're going to get this, this battle plan that's going to go forward. As they move out to attack Ai, he chose 30,000. Remember last time he sent 3,000? I ain't going to make that mistake again. <laughs> Taking 30,000 of his best fighting men. And he sent them out at night with these <laughs> orders. Listen carefully. You are to set an ambush behind the city. Don't go very far from it. All of you, be on alert. I and all those with me will advance on the city. When the men come out against us, as they did before, we will flee from them. They will pursue us until we have lured them away from the city, for they will say, they are running away from us, as they did before. So when we flee from them, then you are to rise up from ambush and take the city. The Lord your God will give it to you into your hands when you have taken the city, set it on fire. Do what the Lord has commanded. See to it. You have my orders. Then Joshua sent them off, and they went to the place of ambush, and they lay in wait between Bethel and Ai, to the west of Ai. But Joshua spent that night with the people. And so here Joshua plays out the battle plan. He sends 30,000 men instead of just a few, and they're lying in wait. They're, they're there to ambush the people as the plan goes on. And it's interesting, in verse 9, he says that they're going to set up a place of ambush, and it is to be between Bethel and Ai. Now, he says it between Bethel, because what if Bethel is going to join in and help those in Ai? You need to be ready for them as well. And so he's thinking ahead. And what a change this is, you know, from Jericho and how the battle took place where God said, march around the city, you don't have to do anything, I'll take care of it, I'll miraculously intervene for you, and this time there's strategy involved. You're going to go lay an ambush, you're going to go and wait, you're going to take 30,000 people, you're going to go at night. Joshua was taking place during the day. And so the plans changes, the strategy changes, and he capitalizes on their confidence. In verse 6, it says, they'll pursue you until we have lured them away. Why will they pursue? Because they did it before. They're going to say, oh, here they come again. They're back for more. We'll whoop them some more. I remember whenever we were playing baseball, you know, my kids were in Little League. And there was always the, the team that was, you know, in the 
what, reconstruction years. You know, they had all the the new players, the young kids, the nine year olds that weren't yet twelve year old who couldn't quite throw as hard and weren't quite as big. You know, a lot can happen from nine years old to twelve year old. I mean, three feet can change. You know, in one child. I mean, it could just all of a sudden spurt into these growth. And so there would be these teams that just had the reputation of not winning. <laughs> and we were one of those teams. We had our growth spurts too, where, where people would come and they, you know, we'd get there and they'd go, oh boy, it's the angels. Oh, we're going to whoop them just like we did last time. And most of the time it was true. <laughs> but you have this confidence where these people are like, hey, they came, we beat them last time, we'll beat them again. And now their overconfidence, Joshua is going to exploit it just as their overconfidence was revealed. And once again, we see that overconfidence, that pride, is what leads to a fall. The minute you think, ah, we don't need help, we've got it made, no problem, you're in trouble. Wow. And so they capitalize on their overconfidence and they move forward and getting ready for the battle. Verse 10, we're going to actually read the battle. We're going to go through and just jump through a few things here, but it's pretty evident what's going to happen. Verse 10, early the next morning, Joshua mustered his men, and he and the leaders of Israel marched before them to Ai. The entire force that was with them matched up and approached the city, marched up and approached the city and arrived in front of it. They set up camp north of Ai with the valley between them and the city. Joshua had taken about 5,000 men and set them in the ambush between Bethel and Ai to the west of the city. They had the soldiers take up their positions, all of those in the camp and to the north of the city and to the ambush to the west of it. That night, Joshua went into the valley. When the king of Ai saw this, he and all the men of the city hurried out early in the morning to meet Israel in battle at the certain place overlooking the Arabah. But he did not know that an ambush had been set against him behind the city. Joshua and all Israel let themselves be driven back before them, and they fled toward the desert. All the men of Ai were called to pursue them, and they were pursued and they pursued Joshua and were lured away from the city. Not a man remained in Ai or Bethel, so Bethel did join in with the battle, yes. who did not go after Israel. They left the city open and went in pursuit of Israel. So things are going just as planned. Of course, it helps when God is on your side and God tells you, here's what you're going to do, this is what's going to happen. Hey, it works. Yeah, of course it worked. You know, who's your general? It's the Lord. And so in verse 18, then the Lord said to Joshua, hold out toward Ai the javelin that is in your hand, for into your hand I will deliver the city. So Joshua held out his javelin towards Ai. Now, we talked about this Sunday in length. This is so much like what happened with Moses with the Amalekites when Joshua was in the midst of the battle and when Moses held up his staff Joshua was victorious. And then when his arms got too tired and the staff came down, the Amalekites were victorious. And so Aaron and Hur stood on either side and they sat Moses down on some rocks and they propped his arms up so that they would be victorious. And when they finally won, the Lord told 
Moses, make sure you write this down and make sure that Joshua hears it. And so once again, Joshua is doing what he remembers Moses doing. Now it's interesting because Moses was a shepherd. He held up a staff. Joshua, he's a general. He's holding up a spear, a javelin. It's what I know. This is what I'm going to do. And God takes what he has, who he is, and he remembers the Lord. He remembers the victory that God gave them, that the victory belonged to the Lord, and he did the exact same thing. He held up the javelin as the battle went on. Verse 19, as soon as he did this, the men in the ambush rose quickly from their position and rushed forward. They entered the city and captured it and quickly set it on fire. The men of Ai looked back and saw the smoke of the city rising against the sky, but they had no chance to escape in any direction, for the Israelites who had been fleeing toward the desert had turned back against their pursuers. Isn't that a picture in a movie? Couldn't you just see that I happening? Actually, I mean, I think this did happen like in Braveheart or something one time, or <laughs> The Patriot, I think I saw one time recently where they retreated and all of a sudden they get over the you know place and they turn on them and it's like, oh no, we've been set up. And, oh my gosh. And you could just see the image there as they're just realizing we got no place to go. We've been surrounded. We, we were lost. And so verse 21 for when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city, that smoke was going up from the city, they turned around and attacked the men of Ai. The men of the ambush also came out of the city against them so that they were caught in the middle with Israelite on both sides. Israel cut them down, leaving them neither survivors nor fugitives, but they took the king of Ai alive and brought him to Joshua. So the battle takes place just as God had instructed them to do. They ambushed them. They caught them out in the middle ground there, took them over. Verse 24, when Israel had finished killing all the men of Ai in the fields and the desert where they had chased them, and when every one of them had been put to the sword, all the Israelites returned to Ai and killed those who were in it. 12,000 men and women fell that day, all the people of Ai. For Joshua did not draw back the hand held out the javelin until he had destroyed all who lived in Ai. Exactly. And so once again, we see the time from when Joshua gave the command to, for them to come out of the ambush in verse 18 to this time here where he finally puts the javelin down. It had to have been hours. It wasn't just moments or you know a few minutes of us reading the verse. It was throughout the battle until the battle was done. He did not put the javelin down. He did not rest until the victory was seen. And that's so true for us. We talked about that just now in Philippians. We're going to press on. We are not going to give up. We are going to run this race that is set before us. And we can't give up. We can't stop until it is over. We have to persevere. Scriptures say, he who perseveres till the end shall be saved. And you can't quit in the middle and win the race. You know, the Olympics are on right now, and I know it's the Winter Olympics. I don't know about you guys, but I'm just not as into the Winter Olympics because no. I live in California. You know? <laughs> There's not a whole lot that happens, but 
you know, in the Olympics, the, those races, and you've seen them on the replays where someone is injured, maybe it's in the marathon or something, or some, you know, 400 meters, and one of the person trips up, falls, and they're coming in, they still finish, even though they're bruised, even though they're bleeding, you know, they've gotten knocked over, they hit a hurdle, whatever happens, and they start hobbling their way past the finish line and when they finally get across the finish line everyone claps because why at least you finished the race you didn't give up they didn't say forget it i'm gonna go home i'm not gonna finish i came all this way i've got to finish the race well our, our lives are we have to finish well we can't stop in the middle well you know i, I lived that christian life for 30 years that's enough I, I, I'm tired of it now. I'm going to just, I'm not going to really pursue God anymore. I've done it long enough. It doesn't work that way. You have to finish. It doesn't matter how you start. It matters how you finish. And Joshua did not put the javelin down until it was finished. And no doubt he learned his lesson from chapter 7. He knew what the defeat meant and how he had not trusted the Lord, how he had not prayed, how he had not sought the priest, how he had been blind to the sin that was there in their camp. And he wasn't going to do that again. He followed through until the battle was won. And so at that point, then he put the javelin down. Um, verse 27, it says, but Israel did carry off for themselves the livestock and plunder for this city, as the Lord had instructed Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a permanent heap. Remember the word Ai means heap. So he made Ai an Ai, a heap of ruins, a desolate place to this day. He hung the king of Ai on a tree and left him there until evening. At sunset, Joshua ordered them to take his body from the tree and throw it down at the entrance of the gate and the, they raised the large pile of rocks over it, which remains to this day. Now, Deuteronomy 29 tells us that cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. This was a public shame to the king. It was an open declaration, you have been defeated. His body is left there until evening, and then it was brought down. And the reason this stands out is because there was another king who was on a tree, and that was Jesus, who became a curse for us, and whose body was left there until the Sabbath was coming, and his body too was brought down. And once again, we see the picture that victory is won, the king is defeated, well, our victory was won, but the king was defeated on our stead for us. And what a picture that brings of what Jesus actually did for us. Because he was put to shame. He gave up his life. He, he took the defeat of our lives. And the shame that was put on the king of Ai because of his defeat was put on our king Jesus because of our defeat. He took our defeat so that we could be victorious. He took our pain. By his stripes, we are healed. We are made whole. And what a, a 
haunting picture it is because you can imagine just how gruesome this is and then to realize that that's what Jesus did for us. And it's a powerful picture and something that I think captures our hearts. And now things change here from the end of this chapter, from verse 30 to the end of this chapter. The battle has taken place. We see the strategy that's been put in, in place. And now we're going to see that they are going to march into the middle of Canaan. Verse 30, it says, Then Joshua built on Mount Ebal an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, Mount Ebal is in the middle of Canaan. It's about 30 miles away from Ai. And there is some commentators who said, well, this must have taken place later on, you know, in their conquering the land. And they just put it here to kind of tell us what happened. But it seems like it happens right here. And then other commentators bring up the point that, you know what, they just conquered Jericho. They just wiped out Ai. They've got a huge army of people marching. Everyone is going to let them pass. And so what they do is march in to the center of Canaan and they build an altar. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. Verses 6 and 7. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At the time of the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Where Abram built the altar to the Lord is now where Joshua is building the altar to the Lord. It is the fulfillment of this promise that God made to Abram before he became Abraham. Joshua is marching right to that point. Now, this is kind of, a, a, I don't know, it's an emotional thing, really, I think, because Joshua is grasping hold of what really God has said and what God is doing. Last chapter, we saw that he was bummed out. He was defeated. He was like, I might as well die, God. And now God has said, no, this is what you're going to do. You're going to march in. You're going to take the city, just like I told you. You're going to be victorious. And then you're going to do what Moses commanded you to do. And what took place with your forefather, Abram, all those years prior. You're going to march in and you're going to build the altar to me because I am with you and there is nothing that is going to stand in your way. And so as a declaration to the nation of Canaan, they march into the center of this land. They build an altar. Why? Because God is with us and we don't need to be afraid. We can move forward and they do. They move forward into this land. As Moses the servant, verse 31, servant of the Lord had commanded the Israelites, he built it according to what it was written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones on which no iron tool had been used. On it 
they offered to the Lord burnt offerings and sacrificed fellowship offerings. Now, why did they use it with no tools, no iron tools were used to chisel out this altar? Because it was not to be contaminated with man's hands. It wasn't man's work that this offering was to be presented to the Lord. It was to be the Lord's work. And so for an offering to be dedicated to the Lord, it wasn't to be fixed up just right. And this is very similar to what happened with Cain and Abel. Remember when Abel offered a sacrifice that was acceptable to the Lord, but Cain wanted to do things his way. He presented it with his own hands. And the Lord says, no, I can't take that. Why not? Because it's contaminated. What's it contaminated? It, it's with you. Your worship, your, your heart is polluted. That's why the offering has to be done this way because I need to cleanse you. And what Cain did was basically start his own religion, saying, I'm going to worship God my way. And God says, no, that's not how it works. This is how it's done. And so Joshua follows those steps and says, it's got to be done this way. We have to offer these stones, and we can't change them. We can't alter them. We take them as they are and put them there because it can't be polluted. Why? Because, well, we're polluted. And you see, this is really the remarkable thing, and I think the thing that makes the reality of Christianity so apparent to me. As it takes the reality of where we are as people, <coughs> and, and the understanding that there is nothing that I can do to be good enough. It doesn't matter how many times I get up and go to church. It doesn't matter how long I pray. It doesn't matter if I say these prayers over and over again. It doesn't matter if I bow and face the east five times a day. It doesn't matter what I do. I can never be good enough for God. I can never be perfect. The standard is beyond my ability to reach. God gave us the law, and just as they're going to carve out the commandments that Moses gave to the nation of Israel, that God gave to Moses, the Ten Commandments, we can't even fulfill those without a problem. And those are the bottom of what God wants. That's just the base of society. Don't murder. Don't covet. Don't take someone else's wife. Don't steal someone else's stuff. Is that asking too much? That's the basis. That's the bottom line. And we have a hard time fulfilling that. And Jesus brought it even clearer. He who looks at a woman has committed adultery in her heart. Whoever says to his brother, you're a fool, has committed murder in his heart. And so the standard is bigger than we're able to make. But God reaches down to us and says, I will take you as you are, and I will make the way for you. It's not up to you how good you are. It is up to me that I am merciful and have made the way. And you see, that lines up with what I see. That lines up with my life because that's what I need. That lines up with everyone who I know well. The people I don't know well, oh yeah, they have it all together. But everyone who I know well, well, they've got problems. <laughs> 
because the truth is we all have problems. The truth is we all are broken. The truth is we all need God's help. And it doesn't matter if you're religious. It doesn't matter if you're a pastor. It doesn't matter if you're a priest. It doesn't matter if you're working on the streets. You need God's help. We all need God's help. And so they make this offering to the Lord and it's once again to acknowledge that we recognize you. We are doing what you've told us to do and we're doing it in the heart of this land because this is what you've promised us. And it's a bold declaration, it really is. Verse 32, it says, There in the presence of the Israelites, Joshua copied on stones the law of Moses, which he had written, all Israel, aliens and citizens alike, with their elders, officials and judges, were standing on both sides of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, facing those who carried it, the priests who were Levites. Half of the people stood in the Mount of Gerizim, and the half stood, half of them, on the Mount of Ebal. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, formally commanded when he gave instructions to bless the people of Israel. So, try and put it into picture. The Ark of the Covenant, and the Levites, the priests, are in the center of this valley. On one side of the mountain of Gerizim, you have these one tribes. And on the other side of the mountain, you have the other tribes. So, they're facing each other with the Ark in the middle. You know, and I don't want to miss it, but verse 33, it says, All... Israel, aliens, and citizens alike. Now, the word aliens, maybe our century, I think of X-Files, but it's actually foreigners, okay? It's, it's not, there were Martians there among them. The aliens are the foreigners, like Rahab. And no doubt there were a lot who left Egypt, who were still with the nation of Israel, as well as those who they probably picked up along the way. And I love this because you've got not only the people, but you've got those stragglers, those who are not of the nation Israel, who are a part of what God is doing there. And every now and then we'll see this word, aliens or foreigners. And I just want us to understand that God's intent all along was to bring them with his people. It was always his plan to bring them along. And so whenever you see them, they're mentioned for a reason. They're mentioned on purpose. They're mentioned so that we will know this isn't an exclusive club. Israelites only. This is for the nation and all those who would believe in the God of Israel. Remember, Israel is Jacob. And so <clears throat> it's for all those who would believe and follow after him, and it was God's plan to establish this nation and draw all nations to himself. And so there they are, one group on one side, the other group on the other side with the ark in the middle. Verse 34, it says, Afterward Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as it is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and children and the aliens who lived among them. 
they all heard the words of the law. And in Deuteronomy, there's a place where you have blessings and cursings. And so one side would say the blessings, choose this and you will live. The other side, if we disobey, we will die. And they would shout these out across the valley. Now imagine this. Imagine you're one of the nations that have been following Israel. Hey, they're, they're here, they're here. I'm sure they probably had spies going to follow them and see what's going on. And they peek over the mountain. Here's this millions of people standing on the mountains, shouting blessings and cursings to one another. They must have think, what's going on here? And there they are, the, the law of God. This is what will happen if we will obey. God will bless. If we will disobey, then we will be cursed. And this was no an epic moment in these people's minds. We're in the middle of the land of promise. We are where God appeared to our forefather, Abram. We have built an altar just like he built an altar. God is with us just as he was with him. And as God has instructed Moses on what we are to do, how we are to live, what will happen if we are obedient? What will happen if we are not? We need to recognize that the promise of God is still being fulfilled in us. And although we have avoided the sentence of the law because it has fallen on Jesus, we can't avoid the standard. God still desires us to be holy. We can't fulfill the law. Thank God we didn't have to. Jesus did. But we can't avoid the standard that is in the law. The law will not be fulfilled by us. But you know what? It's supposed to be fulfilled in us. We have it written in our hearts. God is making us from many tribes and many nations His people. He's brought us into His fold. We are now adopted into His family. We have become what Paul says is true Israel. Those who worship God in spirit and in truth, Jesus said. And so this echoing of the law is something that they are supposed to remember. This is the standard God has for us, and we need to recognize the standard that God has for us too. We have to come to a place where we recognize and see what took place when Jesus offered himself as that sacrifice. The altar that we now look at is what Jesus did. And why did he do it? What was he doing? He was paying our debt. He was saying that the righteousness of God will not be compromised. God will not dumb it down. God will not say, you know what? It's okay. You can get into heaven. <laughs> you know, we all want the benevolent grandfather in heaven. You know, who says, oh, it's okay. I won't tell your parents. Go on. You know, <laughs> take another piece of candy. We, we like that, but God is not going to dumb down his standard. And really, we don't want that. 
It sounds appealing when it comes to us, but we wouldn't want a society that was dumbed down, and we wouldn't got, want God to change holiness. What we want wow. and what we need is holiness to change us. And that's what needs to take place. And that's what Jesus made possible. That's what Jesus made possible on the cross. The altar that we now go to, the standard that we see that was met so that the work of God could take place within our hearts. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 30. We'll, we'll close with this. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Verses 19 and 20. This day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him, for the Lord is your life. And he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Lord is your life. Choose. And you see, this was the declaration that was taking place, that these people were shouting. This was the choice that they had to make, and they were reminding themselves what God had said, the blessings of God. I said it before you. Choose life that you might live. And I love how it says, for the Lord your God he is your life. You see, a lot of people want life, but they don't want the Lord. And you can't separate them. They're connected. If you want life, it's connected to the Lord. It's connected to God. He is the author of life. You can't have it without Him. And so if you turn away from the Lord, guess what you're doing? You're turning away from life. Absolutely. You're turning away from life. It's not that you're turning to a different life. You're turning away from life itself. And so the choice is a serious one. It's one that needs to be thought of. And that's why this huge fanfare is taking place. This, this epic moment in the nation's history, it's to leave an imprint in their minds. If you turn away from God, you turn away from life. Remember that. We need to remember that. Jesus said, if you're not for me, you're against me. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That no man comes to the Father but by me. 
we need to recognize that. We need to understand that he is the life. He is the light of all men. It's contained in him. You find him, you find life. You turn from him, you turn from life. And, and so the, the choice now, as it was presented to the nation, as they talked about the blessings and the cursings, and it's interesting because the two and a half tribes that stayed or were going to go back on the other side of Jordan, remember, they didn't want to make their dwelling place in the promised land, so they left their family and their crops and their cattle, everything on the other side of the Jordan. Well, they were there on the mountain, and they were hearing the cursing. And they went back, and they were wiped out. Interesting. They didn't want to go forward. They liked it back on the other side of Jordan. And they ended up being wiped out. They didn't move forward into that promise. And you know what? We need to be careful that we don't give up, that we move forward into these things. And why wouldn't we want to? Look what God is able to do. Look at the victory that he's able to bring to our lives if we will obey him. And so as Joshua moves forward and makes this declaration, I pray that we would move forward in our lives too, that we would recognize that he is our life. And we would follow after him and what he has for us. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, we thank you, God, for, again, these stories and the application that they have for our lives. Lord, I pray that you would grab hold of our hearts and the importance of what it means to follow after him. Lord, that we wouldn't give up, that we would recognize that not only... Are you merciful and give us second and third chances? Lord, you, you forgive us. You are able to strengthen us. You are able to work within us and change us. And God, that's what we need. Father, we, we need that change that only you can bring. And we need a life that only you can give. And so may we make the same determination as Joshua did to move forward into battle, to, to hold up that javelin and to not let it fall down until the victory was won. Lord, may we press on and not give up until we're done with this race. And in the meantime, may we look to you for strength. May our lives be that living sacrifice, that offering to you continually, Lord. Surrender to you completely. And we thank you for our King Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith, who took the penalty for us so that we could have a relationship with you, so that the standards that we are unable to meet are met because of him. And now you're working within us, God, making us holy from the inside out. Continue that work in each of us, Lord. We do thank you for this time and pray that the things that are applicable would just stay with us, Lord. The things that we need to take with us out of this room tonight, Lord, would 
stay in our minds, stay in our thoughts, and in our hearts. Lord, that we would be able to meditate on them, focus on them, and allow you to continue this work long after tonight is over. And we ask your blessings, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.